If you have your Bibles, if you would open your Bibles up with me, everybody say greater ambition. Say it loud, say it proud. Greater ambition. Um, our main text, uh, I got a lot of scripture. I don't know which ones I'm going to get to right now. Um, Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28 will be our main text. And then Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 is what we're going to be opening up with. Um, how many people in the house do we have that are competitive? You're very competitive. We've got a lot of people who are very competitive. Um, my, he, he's still raising his hand. I'm competitive. I'm going to be the last person to put my hand down. <laughs> um, my son, uh, my sons, they're, seven, they're eight years old. Um, they ask me questions all the time. Anybody um, have people ask you questions all the time? Uh, and so he asks me questions all the time. Dad, what was your first toy? Dude, I'm 34 years old. I have no clue, man. Dad, what was the first food you ate? I don't know. Well, I do know, but it was very perverted to tell my eight-year-old son. Um, some of you got that, <laughs> you know. Um, Dad, well, about a week and a half ago, he asked me a question that really just, uh, I think, brought sadness to me more than ever. Um, maybe draw back. And he, and he said it with a, with a face of, of sorrow, a face of discouragement. He asked, Dad, is it okay to be competitive? Is it okay to be competitive? Um, like I said, I, I had to step back for a minute in my mind and, and and I wasn't feeling bad for Judah asking me that. I felt bad because for him to think that through the life message that he, th- that he seen through his father, that he would have to ask, it's a, is it okay? Because I responded to him quickly, yes, it is okay to be competitive. In fact, it is a human nature to be competitive. Um, supposedly what happened, he was playing basketball at school. And um, he, him and his brother were playing a guy, or two guys and a girl, and they beat him. They played the two girls, they beat them. They played three guys and beat them. And Judah is just like his mother kept talking trash to everybody around them. Boom, crusher! His main saying right now is, suck an MC, can't see me. <laughs> Guess it's mama's mama. <laughs> Thank God she's not here to fight, you know, and win. <laughs> and so supposedly when the uh, teachers that were on, that were, they were at recess, came up to Judah and said, Judah, it's not good to be competitive. And so my son, who's a seven-year-old, seven-year-old, everything that he does, he wants to win. He, I mean, he is just one of those guys who plays to win, came home and asked me, Dad, is it okay to be competitive? And I, and I asked him, like, why are you asking me, is it okay to be competitive? Because I was told that it's not good to be competitive. I said, son, it is good to be competitive. It is, it is in our human nature to compete. And I started thinking to myself, I was talking to Jennifer about this. Um, just recently, uh, I was talking to her. I was like, babe, um, I've been trying um, to hide it really good. I- I've been trying to fight, fight it off when the urge comes to, like, express this feeling. Um, am I, do I act like I'm very competitive? Do I hide it well? And she goes, you've never hit it well. <laughs> And anybody who really knows me who's played games with me understands that. In fact, my sisters today, because of what happened in middle school and high school, will not play Monopoly against me because I am too competitive. Anybody know those kind of people in your life personally? Come on, somebody. Very competitive. And so it seems now there are people today 
good people, Christian people, who think it's not okay to be competitive. It's not, it, it, it's, it's not okay to be um, this nasty word that we're going to be talking about more so this morning, ambitious. ambitious. Someone say ambitious. We, we feel that if we are too ambitious, we become too prideful. If we're too ambitious, we become selfish. But ambitious, um, ambitious at its core is not necessarily a sin, even though we make it to a sin. But I, I can see why we would make it a sin, because a lot of times where we find the majority of our faults and failures, the majority of our confusions and doubts, isn't necessarily the Word of God, but it's our interpretation of the Word of God. Where we take things, certain things out of context because we don't really know what, what happened then. There, there's a scripture in the Bible, um, it, it's, in, it's actually in Matthew chapter 20, where um, uh, Peter, James, and John, or, um, and, all the, and all the other um, nine disciples, they're, they're walking and they're, and they're hanging out. And they're asking Jesus, who's the greatest? And I don't know about you. But, like, in Jesus' time, when you read the New Testament, when you read your Bible, you see all these amazing miracle signs, winners. Have you ever wondered what did they talk about other than the Bible? What were some of the conversations they had other than church? Did they have a life outside of College Park? And did they actually have things that they talked about that didn't really connect to spiritual things? We find this in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 8. We also find this in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 35. One of the conversations that we see behind the scenes. How many of you know, there's all, you know, every time you see highlights, there's always a behind the scenes story. You see people talk about an amazing moment in their life. I caught this big fish, but you know, behind the scenes, it wasn't that big, it was this big. People like to elaborate and make something better than what it really is. And I think we've done a great job in the church to make the disciples greater than they really were. I would think we've done a, a, um, a great job as a church over the centuries to make the disciples as holier than thou type of people, that we forget that they were human beings too. They were selfish beings too. That they made mistakes here and, the, here and then too. And one of, the script, one of the things that we see in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20, um, 20 through 28, if you would put that up, Matthew chapter 20, verses, we'll start in verse 20 to, um, through 28. We'll be reading out of the... Um, NIV, it says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he, he asked. She said, grant the one of these two sons of mine that they may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Well, Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those. These places, this thing that you desire, belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the, turn, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant. Someone, someone say indignant. They were indignant with the two brothers who asked that question. Jesus called them together and said, you know what the rulers of the Gentiles, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and that their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, but instead, Jesus mentioned something different. 
He said, how many of you want to be greater? How many of you want to be ambitious? How many of you are are not okay with where you are but want more? Do we have many of those type of people? You want more in life. You want to be greater in what you're doing. You have ambition in the areas that you find your life in. So, well, so did the disciples. And this is the constant story that we see. I mean, we see this also in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 35. It says, they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what are you arguing about on the road? They kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the two, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be very last and the servant of all. (laughs) They weren't talking about a 90-day Bible reading plan. (laughs) They weren't talking about the keys to the kingdom. They were talking about the desire that each and every one of us have, the behavior that each and every one of us possess. We want to become greater. We might want to become greater in our household. We might want to become greater in our workplace. We might, we want, some of us desire to become greater in our church. We, we want to become a greater Christian. We want to become a greater follower of Christ. And for some reason, we think that in the process of desiring to be greater, that we're selfish, and the desire of becoming greater um, it's not true humility. We live in a day and time where instead of, you know, waking up every morning, I want to be great. We wake up every morning, I want to be a servant. Instead of waking up every morning, I want to be ambitious. We wake up every morning, I, I just want to be low in my humility in everyone's presence. But one of the things that I've seen in the life of Jesus is that here are the disciples exercising, manifesting, exemplifying something that you and I constantly show in our lives, a desire for more, a desire for increase, a desire to see what we have become greater than it currently is. I mean, I I said it last week, I'll say it again. I mean, that's my desire for my kids. I want my kids to have more than I've ever had in my life. I want my kids to start where I finished. I don't want them to start where I started. Anybody feel that for your life? I want more. Does anybody want more? Can we just, can we just break, the, break the ice? If you want more, can you just make some noise? You want more from your family? You want more for your kids? You want more for your mother? You want more for your father? Yes, we want more. But we live in a time where we, it's hard for us to say we want more. Because we're looked down when we, when we tell our Christian leaders, we, we're looked down to when we're telling our Christian friends. We, we look down, we're looked down at when pastors and people are around us and we say, I want more. We're like Jesus. We're like Jesus. We're walking around, we have authority, we have power, and, there, and, there's, the, and there's everybody else arguing who's the best. And what does Jesus say? Hey, what are you arguing about? Nothing. You only say that when you don't want the person in front of you or near you to know what you're saying. You ever done that? Been somewhere you don't, you're not supposed to be? Been somewhere that you know God doesn't want you to be? Saying something that you're not supposed to say. Here are the disciples. They're talking about something they feel they shouldn't be talking about. Jesus comes in and says, hey, what are you saying? As if God doesn't know what, he's, what, the, what, what they're saying. He's God. He knows everything. Supersonic hearing at best, right? He says, what's going on? What are you arguing about? The Bible says that uh, on their way to the road, they were arguing 
who was the best. We see this in Matthew with James and John, um, the sons of Zebedee. Another translation is the sons of thunder. Can you imagine having that type of name growing up? I'm the sons of thunder. Ain't nobody going to mess with me. You know, that's what I love about having twin boys. You fight one, you fight two. Come on, somebody. Favor and fair, baby. And so the sons of thunder have a question. Have you ever had, have you ever wanted to ask a question, but you, you were afraid to ask it, so you sent somebody else? The sons of thunder, you know who they asked? Mommy, can you ask Jesus a question for me? Because they were a baby. They couldn't face Jesus alone. And so the Bible says that, they, they, that, that uh, the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee, asked Mommy to go talk to Jesus for them. And so the sons of thunder's mother come and say, hey, you know, um, uh, who's the greatest, and uh, I don't want to impose you, but my boys, they got a little something going on compared to everybody else, right? So I don't want to pose. You could pick who sits on the left and who sits on the right, but you know what? Um, can you choose them to be the greatest? You know what I love about people who are ambitious? They always have haters through the process because the Bible says that their own team, not strangers, their own team, not sinners, their own team became indignant. You know what indignant means? When somebody asks to do something that you want, but you failed to ask, and they get it. Hey, can you believe he asked her out? Yeah, and you didn't, and you're indignant and alone. <laughs> can you believe that dude asked, had the audacity to ask my boss for that new job that, that, that accompanied a new promotion, that accompanied a higher raise? Can you believe he had the audacity to ask and say that he was better than me and I've been here longer? Yes, you're indignant. They had, the, they had the passion and the boldness and the ambition to ask for something that you won't. And you are indignant because they got it and you don't. And there you are sitting idly by watching everybody and their ambition grow and increase while you don't. It's the life of disciples, man. I mean, I mean, it's crazy. They're all arguing amongst each other. Who is the greatest? But instead of asking Jesus, instead of looking to Jesus, they looked within themselves. The best way I can exemplify this, um, how many of you are ballers? You love to play basketball. I love the ball. I love to play basketball. I am by far a LeBron James hater. All right? I just want to make that known to everybody in the house. MJ is the greatest basketball player of all time. Thank you. Thank you for those claps. You are a Christian and filled with faith, my brother. <laughs> let, 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 let's take Jesus. Let's take the disciples out. Let's say, you know, Dylan Mantooth, um, Blake, Mark Wagner, we're all walking. And LeBron James is heading the pack like Jesus, right? And so here I am. Here Blake is. Here Dylan. And we're arguing. Who's the greatest basketball player of all time? And then LeBron James walks in, hey, guys, what are you talking about? <laughs> Who do you think's the greatest? I think the disciples had such a dysfunctional view of what it meant to be great that they had Jesus, who was God in flesh and blood, standing right there in front of them. You know, I, I mean, I, I could see Dylan saying, I'm the greatest, or at least when I go lay it up, you know. I can see Blake saying, I'm the, I'm the greatest because look at my shiny bald head, you know? 
Mark, you're, you get your little scruffy back there. And, and, but instead, there is LeBron James, the greatest basketball player of all time, standing right, I did admit it, I did admit it, Pastor Dylan, I did admit it, standing right there, hey, what are you guys arguing about? Who's the greatest? Instead of looking to LeBron James, or instead of looking to Jesus, they're looking to themselves. They start comparing themselves amongst themselves, arguing amongst themselves who is the greatest. Judah asked me, Dad, is it okay to be competitive? Yeah, what? What are you trying to be great in? I just want to be the best. I just want to be the best. What do you mean you want to be the best? I want to be better than everybody I see. Well, if that's all you want, when you become the, the best beyond all you see, you're, there's no one else to compare yourself with, and you'll be lacking. Why don't you desire to be the best in everything that you do? C- compare yourself to the best of the best. To stop comparing yourself to the least of the group. One day you'll become great in something that you'll do. I think a lot of times when it comes to our Christian walk, we compare ourselves to weak Christians. We compare ourselves to religious people. Instead of comparing ourselves to the best of the best of the best, and that is Jesus. We compare ourselves to other Christians in the group. Well, I'm better than they are. Well, look what I've given. It's, it's a lot more than they've given. I mean, I, I, I mean, I've been a part of church longer than they have. Look at me. And God's like, oh, you have a dysfunctional view of greatness. You have a dysfunctional view of what it means to ambitious. You see, the, the, the disciples were walking in, and they were desiring who's the greatest. Jesus has to come in on the spot, stop everything, and give them a framework of what it means to be great. Because they thought, and especially the church of today, in order to be great, we have, we have now attributed humility and made it synonymous with poverty. We've, we, we've attributed humility and made it synonymous with apathy. And we've allowed our faith to be somewhat of a pillow for our failures and lack of movement. God will do it. God will change the marriage, but you never say I love you. You never ask for forgiveness. <laughs> Come on. God, God's going God's gonna to give me a new job, but you never put out an application. God's going to give me a raise, but you never ask for a raise. I want somebody, I want somebody to pick me. I want somebody to position me in the local church, but you never ask one time and never give one ounce of desire that you have it and that you want it. And you have become indignant to God and everybody around you. How dare they get that? How dare they receive that? How dare they go there? And you're indignant because they had the ambition to ask, and you didn't. So we live in a day and time where instead of living a life of ambition, we're living a life that is indignant to everyone and everything around us. We're indignant to Joel Olsten. We're indignant to Creflo Dollar. We're indignant to... We're indignant to every pastor, every mega church around us because they have something that we want, but what do we do? We make excuses for their failures. We, we, we put a microscope to their, to their misfortunes and the history of their faults and failures. Instead of us, like James and John, the sons of thunder, comparing ourselves, asking of ourselves to Jesus, who is the greatest? And so Jesus says, you know what? Let me paint the picture of what greatness really is in the kingdom of God. Whoever wants to be the great among you must be a servant. Did you catch that? Whoever wants to be great, dot, 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 must be a servant. 
You see, as Christians, I think we miss the first part of that scripture, and we jump to the second part. And, we, and if you've been in church long enough, you understand, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you got to be a servant. Anybody know what I'm talking about? you got to be a servant. The greatest among you must be a servant. But if you, if you read that scripture too fast, you miss the essence of what Jesus is trying to talk about. You take out the context of what was really going on. The context was this. I want to be great. So Jesus says, you want to be great? Let me paint the picture of what it means to be great. Be a servant. What is Jesus saying? If you don't want to be great, you don't even apply to be a servant. <laughs> don't even call yourself a servant if you don't want to be great in where I put you. Don't, don't try to be a servant if you don't want to be great in where I position you. If you don't want to be great, if you don't want to be great, you don't even have the ability to be what I've called a servant. Because he hinges what it means to be a servant by somebody who has ambition to be great. We see this in the life of David in, the, um, in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel 17, verse 33, it says this, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistines and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came. And carried off a sheep from the flock. I went after it. Are you crazy, David? And I struck it. And I rescued it. The sheep from its mouth. <laughs> when it turned on me, I seized it by the, its hair. And struck it. And I killed it. Your servant, who has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. I love this scripture. Go back to that last scripture. See, we know David as King David. A lot of people talk about that. King David. We all know David as a giant slayer. You know, the giant killer who killed Goliath. But as we look, we might look at him as a king. Other people look at him as, as a warrior. Some of you don't even realize that the Bible describes him as a shepherd. But if you miss the context of the scripture... Look at how David describes himself, a servant. He never looked at himself as a king. He never looked at himself as a warrior. He never looked at himself as a shepherd. But he looked at himself as a servant. I love this. God wants to turn you into a king. But you cannot be a king if you're not willing to be a warrior. We want to be a king without ever fighting a battle. Before David turned into a king, he chased down the lion. How crazy is that, right? It wasn't even his sheep. It was his father's sheep. Have you ever noticed that? He's tending his father's sheep. He, he's making minimum wage, you know, as, 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 just, just, just as a chaperone for the flock. And, and a bear and a lion come out, grab a sheep by its mouth. And what does David do? He runs after that bear. He runs after that lion. The, the stinking lion and bear have a sheep in its mouth. What does David do? He, he takes it out of its mouth, holds it by its hair, slaps it a, a little bit, says, not on my watch, sucker, and shakes it. This guy is crazy. Can I tell you what I would do if I was David? <laughs> Like all of you, dad, a sheep got killed by a lion. 
The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh, the Lord taketh, blessed be the name of the Lord. <laughs> Must have been the Lord's will. But you know what David does? He elevates, he, he, he redefines what it means to be a, a shepherd. No other shepherd did this. No other shepherd acted like this to somebody else's flock. Maybe, the, maybe people act like that for their sons. Maybe people act like that for their daughter. Maybe people act like that for their own sheep. But David did it for somebody else's stuff. Said it's not enough that I just watch. It's not enough that I just look. I gotta do something about this. I'm gonna chase the lion. I'm gonna chase the bear. And not only am I gonna seize the sheep out of his mouth, I'm gonna kill it. And because of that, it made him a warrior. A servant who became a shepherd, who became a warrior. Do you realize that no other person, no other warrior, no other soldier in the army of Israel wanted to fight Goliath? Why? Because none of them had on their resume a giant killer. No one had on their resume, I am a giant slayer. And so what happens when David comes on the spot? He elevates and he redefines what it means to be a warrior and goes out and kills the giant. And this whole entire time, he never sees himself as a warrior. He never sees himself as a shepherd. We see in scripture, your servant, David, this is what I've done. This is where I've been. And he's looking to Saul, and this is what I'm about to do because God is with me. You see, what it means to be a follower of Christ means to elevate. What it means to be a follower, uh, a follower of Christ means to redefine wherever God positions you in. You see, most people are like normal shepherds. You're just a watcher. Most people are like, most, you know, most shepherds, they just sit and they watch the flock just bah, do nothing. But David said, I can't just sit in a pew. I just can't sit in a chair. I got to kill something that's trying to kill my people. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to do what I got to do and be who God's called me to be. I'm going to be a king. But you can never be a king if you don't kill the lion. And you'll never be able to kill the lion if you don't serve as a shepherd. You see, David served his way as a shepherd. David served his way as a warrior, and David served his way and became king. You don't become king without first being a servant. And so this is what, Dave, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, you know what? In order to be first, you got to be last. In order to first, you got to be last if you want. And those who are last are first. And so Mason, Brian, Olivia, Mallory, would you all come up on stage real fast for me? So this is, this, this, this is, this is how we view the mathematics of the kingdom, because this is just crazy mathematics that God throws at us, right? You want to be first? You got to be last. What does that mean? And so this is what we do. We compare ourselves to number one, number two, number three, number four, and here I am, number five. And so what happens is we're like, Jesus, I want to be first. <laughs> we read scripture and realize in order to be first, I got to be last. But here's our problem. I don't mind being last, but how long? Is that honest? I don't mind being last, but will it be forever? And so what happens, we compare ourselves to the number four, number three, number two, number one, and, and, and we're like, God, we can't see because there's such a long line because we're last. We can't see what's ahead because of everything that's blocking us because we're last. And God's saying, you know what? What it means to be last is this. 
Stop comparing yourselves among yourselves. And compare yourself. Well, how can I compare myself to you, God? Repent. What does repent mean? Turn around. And he who was last is now first. As you give up of yourself as a living sacrifice to others, to see them become great from your life. You may, you may be saying thank you. Can we give him a round of applause? See, a lot, of us want the, a lot of us want the spotlight. A lot of us want the accolades. But we're not willing to be the last person to eat at the table. We want people to recognize us. And we want, we want people to see us. We want people to know what we're about. And God says, the only person that needs to worry about that is me. Serve me. Stay rooted in my house. Stop comparing yourself to all these people. And if you could just repent on this one thing and turn around, you will find out that you are God's chosen masterpiece. And his eyes are on you. His attention is fixed to you. Why? Because he loves you. You are a son or a daughter of the king. You see, the Bible says, you know, in Philippians 2.3, would you throw that up? Philippians chapter 2.3. This is where a lot of us get screwed up when it comes to our doctrine, our religion, um, when it comes to the interpretation of Jesus' teachings. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And a lot of us, we see ambition, we think, you know what? We better not have ambition because the Bible says don't have ambition. The Bible doesn't say ambition in itself is wrong. The Bible says selfish ambition is wrong. So ambition at its core is right, a virtue, a standard, a behavior to live in your life. And like any behavior or any virtue, it can be corrupted. And so I don't know about you, you know, I've heard sayings my entire life, don't have too much fun, right? Why? Because you might get in trouble. <laughs> don't be too trusting, have a little deceit because people might backstab you. What, what does that mean, right? Don't be too loving. What do you mean don't be too loving? But God says, give it all, surrender all, and be last, and let everybody else have all in your life. And so we live in a day and time where we live in humility, but we don't realize that humility is rooted to ambition. We want people to become great. We want our church to become great. We want everything that he's placed in our hand to increase and be great. I mean, isn't that the parable of the talents? He gave 110, 113, 111. The guy who had five doubled it. The guy who had three doubled it. The guy who had one did nothing. He didn't lose it. He didn't lose it. It wasn't still. He just didn't do anything with it. He just sat and he watched it. He sat and he waited for something to change about it. When God has given you, everybody say me. He has given you, he's given me the responsibility to increase it. What has God given you? I was, I was talking to my wife. We were just talking about it this week. I don't know, man. The Holy Spirit has just been wrecking me in my personal time here re recently. Um, I, I, I have never had so much love for God like I've had the last two weeks. Like, it, it is just, it is insane. 
man, what God has been revealing and just showing me and just allowing me to experience in him. I remember growing up um, in Somerville Family Worship Center, my home church, or the church I grew up, this is my home church now. This is my home. I remember, um, I remember when Hector Morales came to church. Um, our youth group was very small at the time, and so we had some brown people come in. It was nice. Only one issue, Hector started serving in the local church. And I found myself in my head getting angry because I saw him being noticed by everybody. And here I am being left behind. I've been at this church my whole life. Here comes this guy from Puerto Rico trying to mess with this Filipino. Who does this brown boy think he is? You know? And so... My entire life, I've always, I've, always, I've literally said this in my mind. No one's ever known this. No one is going to outserve, outserve Steve Wilson and Pastor Bill like me. And so at that time, the only people that really served their tail feathers off was my wife or Jennifer, or Jennifer Till at the time, who was not my wife, and Hector Morales. And so I made it my life goal, my life mission. There is, these two people will not outserve me. And so whatever they did, I went farther. If they did one ministry, I was going to do two ministries. And I would push myself to the limit because I said, I am not going to allow anyone to beat me. I was like, Brian, my hand is going to be the last one standing. I'm, I'm so competitive. I'm just competitive by nature. I'm going to win at spades. I'm going to win at stinking Uno. I'm going to win at stinking goldfish for crying out loud. You know what I'm saying? My kids need to know what it means to really win. Ain't no free handouts in my house. And none. You're going you're to learn. You're going to learn humility, boy. I'm just kidding. And I didn't realize that that ambition is what got me here today. My whole life, I, I saw people look down at people who were ambitious. Look down to people who, you know, who, who had a drive. Look down to people who had this competitive nature within. And instead, you don't need to be ambitious. You need to be humility. You need, you need to humble yourself. Well, what does it mean to be humble? You need, you need, you need, just, just be quiet. Don't be too loud. You can have fun, not just enough fun. Go out and do it. Just watch yourself. When I see God teach his people, when I see God mentor his disciples, when I see God, when I see Jesus teach what it really means to be great, he says, elevate, redefine every place that you find yourself in and raise the bar. That's what it means to be ambitious. That's what it means to be great. Taking what you have and increasing it. Taking what you have and doubling it. Taking what you have and pushing the limit forward. Pushing it on. If you never chase down that line, you will always be a shepherd, never a warrior, and never a king. If you never ask and allow that ambition to manifest out of your life, you will always be left with regret. I should have live a life that was constantly asking. Don't we know that there's a scripture about what, it's, what it means to ask? Ask, and it what? Shall be given unto you. The reason why we have nothing given unto us is because we are asking unto them. Here we are in our little Christian bubble. God, God's going to do it one day. Yeah, he's going to ask. He's going to do it if you ask. <laughs> he's going to do it if you ask. He's going to do it if you take a step and chase down that line that has taken your sheep. Are you okay with people 
coming in here and the enemy taking them? Are you okay with people, our sons and our daughters living a life of sin and the enemy coming in and taking them with his teeth, taking them with his claws? Or you said, you know what, I'm going to be like David. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to step out and I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. No lion is going to prevail. No bear is going to prevail. No giant is going to prevail. But as for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. I got great ambition, baby. I got a competitive nature. And ain't nobody, no enemy going to come near me and my family, because I got ambition. I just, I want to turn this meeting as I close, as the worship team comes up. I want to turn this meeting into a lethargic meeting, um, an AA meeting, right? Ambitious Anonymous. My name is Mark Patrick Wagner Jr., and I am ambitious. Um, and I'm addicted to it. I'm addicted to it. I have a few addictions in my life. Ice cream. Anybody have that addiction? Chocolate, Mediterranean mint. I don't care, man. It's all good in the name of Jesus. I'm addicted to winning. I'm addicted to being competitive. But here's the thing, Scott. Here, 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 here's the thing, teacher. Here. Here's the thing, therapist, I don't want to be cured. I don't want to be cured. So I'm holding on. Because this is what God has placed in me to hold on to. To be great in this world for him. Thank God I have an ambitious wife. Ambition to see the fullness of God be manifested in my life and my kids. There's been multiple times as a Christian, I, I wanted to give up. When I was in Charleston, there was a moment where I wanted to give up on God or give up serving the local church because I started comparing myself to other people instead of comparing myself to God. And I found myself getting frustrated with everybody, frustrated with my local church, frustrated with my leadership. I found myself wanting to uproot and go somewhere else. I had an interview at North Charleston Police Department. I had a family member that was the chief of police. I was going to get the job. And then my wife, because she was ambitious. Someone say ambitious. Because she was ambitious, she changed the meeting on my Blackberry Pearl. And I missed it. I couldn't go and do it. Complete it. Because she was ambitious, because she knew there was a calling of God on my life. She was going to fight and not let any line come in and take what God has placed in me. I have a son, Judah and Gavin, where he comes home. Dad, is it okay to be competitive? Sad. Because he feels like I guess I shouldn't compete. I guess I shouldn't be ambitious. I guess I, just, I should just let everybody just win and do their thing and here I am just sitting within Soaking, sad, sorrow within. Ain't no lion coming and attacking my son and taking that characteristic, that character out of him in front of me. Son, it's okay to be ambitious. I had a family member. She had cancer. It was my grandma. She had cancer four times. 
I remember the first three times she would go to the doctor down to get checked. She was so ambitious when it came to the, the promises of God when it came to her healing. She would tell everyone around her about God and Jesus. She would tell everybody about the good news of Jesus Christ and why she saved. And she was constantly ambitious. There was this one doctor at MUSC that she visited. I remember the first time. This doctor, uh, he came in so stoic, a stone wall, no emotions. You ever met those doctors? They just tell you straight up, you're going to die. Don't, they're not even phased by it. You're you got five hours, say goodbye, bye. He walked out of the room. This guy was just stoic, just straight face. And um, he comes in there, and he's, he's talking to my Mimi, Miss Virginia Wagner, and he's like, so Miss Virginia, you have, you, have an, an advanced, you have an advanced type of cancer. You don't have much time to live. But I have this procedure that I can do. And I believe that this procedure take all the cancer that's within you. If you allow me, I would love to do this procedure on you. She goes, absolutely. Uh, the doctor, I'm going to call him Pedro because I need to put a name. Just Pedro is the first name that popped in my head. I don't know why. Dr. Pedro, he comes in on the spot. He comes back. Uh, it's supposed to be like a four-hour surgery. It turned into like a 10-hour surgery. It was, it was just crazy long. And um, he goes, Miss, Miss Virginia, Miss Wagon, I believe we got it all. You are cancer-free. I remember it was during this time where I, I had a big issue with my sisters, Christina and Esther, because like I said, they hate it. They, they will not play with me in Monopoly because I'm very competitive. And I remember asking Dr. Pedro, out of curiosity, are you competitive? And with a stoic face, no emotion, he grins from ear to ear. I am very competitive. Can I be honest? If that was me on the table, I want somebody fighting for me who's, who's not okay to lose. I want somebody fighting for me who, who wants to win and win at all, that when they look at my life, my life is the playing ground, my life is the playing field, and when he steps on the court, I'm going to get everything out of your life. I thank God that we serve a God that is ambitious, that when he came to this earth, he didn't say, I'm just going to save the 12 disciples. I'm not just going to save my mom and my dad. No, I've come to save the world because he was ambitious. I'm not going to let a cross take me out. I'm not going to let unforgiveness take me out. I'm not going to let people who've taken me out of context, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, take me out. No, I am competitive, and I'm going to carry my cross, and I am going to follow him. Paul said, we read this last week, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my race. How does one fight a fight without throwing one punch from his life? How does one fight a fight without taking one sword, doing one Bruce Lee drop kick or Chuck Norris roundhouse kick? I got slim jeans. I can't raise my legs that high. <laughs> How can one describe himself as a fighter 
And we never see him in a physical fight because he recognizes that our fight isn't physical. But our fight is mental. Our fight is spiritual. And we don't wrestle with fleshly things. We wrestle against principalities. And how do we fight? We fight with our mind. We fight with our prayer. We fight with our life. We fight with our heart and say, not today, Satan. Not today, Satan. You're not going to have my feelings. Not today, Satan. You're not going to have my mind. Not today, Satan. You're not going to have my kids. I, ha- I am ambitious. I am addicted. And I do not want to be fixed. I want everything God has for me. I want to increase in every area God positions me. And I want to see life change, ha- life change happen all around me as long as I live. We're going to be about the Father's business. And that is for the whole world to be saved. As long as I live, I'm going to be addicted to God's ambition. And that every person hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether that be on a pulpit, whether that be via online, whether that be through a TV television, I don't care what it is. We're going to be ambitious. And if people don't like that type of addiction here, so be it. This is who we are. And we're not going to apologize for it. We're going to be ambitious for our youth ministry. We're going to be ambitious for our kids' ministry. We are going to be ambitious in raising up the next generation of leaders. And not, we're not going to make excuses for it. We're going to invest in our time, talent, and treasures. And we're going to give it our all. We are going to, I, I am afraid. Can I just tell you my fears? And I'm not even kidding you. This is my fear. I live with it every single day. I fear that when I wake up, I am terrified that my life will not make a difference. Point blank. This is where my, a lot of my insecurities breed from. I wake up every morning wondering, will I live up to God's intentions for me? People say, why do you work so hard? Why do you put so many means? Because I want to live up to how God lived up for me. I want to do what God has done for me. And I want to lay it all down as a living sacrifice. That when I'm standing there at the gates of heaven and I look back, I gave it all. I didn't hold one bit. Why? Because I was so competitive. I was so ambitious. Here is my life. Here is my time. Here is my talent. Here is my treasures. I give it all to you. I lay it down at your feet. Less of me, more of you, John said. I must decrease in order for you to increase in my life. In order to live a life that is greater, I have to have greater ambition. In order to be greater in life, I have to be a greater servant. Have you been calling yourself a servant but haven't pursued to be great at it? Have you called yourself a follower of God but you haven't had ambition to elevate where you have been positioned? Well, that's a word right there. Are you elevating your workplace? Are you elevating the classroom? Are you raising the standard amongst your family? Are you raising the standard of an attitude that needs to reflect the fruits of the spirit, self-control, and patience? Can we just go there this morning? Are you okay? I pray that, I pray that this is an ambitious church. I pray that there are people here ambitious to see, their, to see their entire family saved. 
I pray that there are some people that will stand up with me and say, you know what, I'm ambitious for this city. I'm ambitious for lost souls. I'm, I'm ambitious for families that don't know Christ. And I want to be the person that goes after the lion, goes after the lion, tigers, and bears, oh my, and walks down the golden gate path and say, I'm going to reach my destiny because I'm ambitious. If you find yourself to be an ambitious person or desiring to be an ambitious person, would you just stand all across this room this morning? I want to be ambitious for God. I want to be ambitious in where he's positioned me. I want to see that every area of my life that he's placed me to elevate, I want to raise the standard. I want to redefine what it means to be a real servant. You want to be a king? You need to be a warrior. You want to be a king? You better fight the battles. <laughs> you want to be a warrior? You better chase down your lion and tigers and bears. Oh, my. You really want to be a shepherd? You must first become a servant. I wonder this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you haven't taken that step of faith. You haven't had the ambition to cross over and give your life to Jesus Christ. Unlike David, you live a life that's been watching. You've lived a life that is just idly by. You haven't been a player on the field. You've been a fan in the stage. Forget, you're not even a fan on the stage. You're just watching it on TV. You can care less in the past to go and be what he's called you to be. But something this morning has triggered something inside of you today. All you have to do to be able to be that person that starts an ambitious life of faith is to call upon the name of the Lord. What does that mean? Jesus, I'm sorry. Jesus, here's my sin. Jesus, I've made mistakes. But God, here I am. I want to accept your forgiveness that makes me live in a new day. Because his Bible his word says in his Bible, old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new to those who call upon the name of the Lord. And you would say, I haven't been ambitious and crossed over. My life has been a life of apathy and weakness. My life hasn't been synonymous with wanting to push the limit of where God has placed me in. But today, I want to start the process of being reconciled, being redeemed, being made new in Jesus I want to ask for forgiveness of my sins. Would you just raise your hand all across this building? I want to give my life to Jesus. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Thank you for that hand. Jesus, thank you for your sweet, your sweet peace in this room this morning. As you bring the lost home, as you bring those who are once confused, you reveal God's purpose in their life today. To those of you who call yourselves sons and daughters of Christ, if we can just say this prayer together with the three people who raised their hand this morning. Jesus, I'm sorry. I've lived life selfishly. But this morning, I want to live a life that is selfless, that is ambitious for you. And you alone. So Jesus, I lay down my ways and I take on your ways that are great and are wanting to make me great and where I'm positioned in life right now. 
So Jesus, thank you for this new journey with you. In your name we pray, amen. Can we give God praise for what's happened this morning? Yeah!